It is a blessing to have a relationship with God, isn't it? You know, when you think about so much of mankind is living in some sort of counterfeit religion, some sort of made-up approach to deity. And when you start to really analyze uh, what they have designed it to be, uh, it really leaves me as a Christian wondering, what do they find so appealing about this? Their, their God is, in some cases, uh, impersonal, uh, a God that is only one of fear, uh, a God that's sometimes mischievous. If you go back to the Greek gods, right, there were some of those deities, the way that they have been contrived and designed. Of course, they're not real gods, but it's the way man was worshiping, even though it was into nothingness, really, since there was no God on the other side to receive the worship. But it reveals something about the human heart is the point. And yet, think about the way it really does work. God invites us into not just periodic moments with Him. What God really wants for us to have, and what He wants to have with us, is an unbroken presence, an interaction of fellowship. And there's numerous verses in the Bible that touch on this so that we know that that is the spirit of what a believer's relationship is supposed to be with our God. It's not just checking in once a week, you know, and then go your merry way. It really is designed to be something that's nonstop from our first waking moments in the morning till we go to bed at night and you know, he's our first thought in the day, and he's our last thought before we go to bed. And throughout the day, it's, he's just there, and we're always alert and aware of his presence. That's the way it's supposed to be. And it's wonderful, really, uh, to walk with the Lord in that way. So we're going to talk about persistently being in the presence of God from Psalm 15. And we'll talk about part of this tonight, and then two weeks from now we'll look at uh, the second part of this, and hopefully by breaking it into two parts tonight, we'll whet your appetite and get you thinking about it and maybe send you home to read through this chapter and look at it in a fresh way and, you know, probe your own mind and heart and say, you know, you know, how is it with me? You know, how do I match up? Am, am I walking with the Lord in all the ways that he would want me to? And if we can do that and benefit from it, then praise God. I think that's the point of God placing a text like this in our Bible. So by way of introduction, I think we need to ask ourselves, is there a difference between God being with us and us being with God? You say, is that a trick question? Sort of. All right. How many think that there is, in some respect, a difference between those two things? Okay? I would agree with you, okay? Now, chapter 15 of Psalm begins with a focus of the individual wanting to be in God's presence. So let's just read verse 1 of Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide? Okay, so there's the first verb there and definitely has the idea of 
of the presence. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? So from perspective, it's not about God being with the person. It's the person being with God. Can we, can we all see that in the verse? Okay, the question is, who, what kind of person can be in God's tabernacle? What kind of individual is able to dwell in God's holy hill? So clearly the focus is on an individual. David's asking this question under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanting to be in God's presence. However, remember the first question, you know, is there a difference between God being with us and us being with God? There's another passage, well, and there's more than one, but for instance, Psalm 38, 138, verse 7, where David asks the rhetorical question, and since it's a rhetorical question, the answer is supposed to be obvious, and the question he asks is this, whither shall I go from thy presence? In other words, where can I go to get away from God? And the answer is what? Nowhere. You can't get away from God. Because one thing we know about God from all of Scripture, when we build an understanding of God, one of his attributes that says that he's everywhere at the same time, and all of him is everywhere at the same time. Not just part of him, all of God is everywhere at the same time. We call that his omnipresence. And we can't, we can't wrap our mind around that completely. It's one of those things where we have to accept the reality of it because of what the Word of God teaches. So, going back to that first question, yes, the Bible is, does teach us that if God is everywhere, then is God always with every believer? He is. We can't get away from God even if we wanted to. Not that we should, okay, but so this question is from the other vantage point, other perspective of us being with God. So in either case, you might say, doesn't it result in us being together with him? I mean, if, if, if God is with us, then am I not with him? I mean, doesn't it work that way? So what's the difference? And I think the focus on God being with us lies with his initiative, his divine will, right? I mean, he's doing it whether we want it or not. Does he do that? Is his presence even with unbelievers in some respect? It is because he's everywhere. There's no place where he's not. So this might be speaking of keeping us accountable when we talk about God being with us. You know, when David's asking, that, whither shall I go from thy spirit? It could be a sense of, hey, I better watch how I walk because God's always there. You know, it's kind of like when you're children, you, you, you kind of have authority figures. And it's like, you, maybe you had that teacher. It was like, yeah, it's like, how does she keep turning up everywhere I am, you know? Or that parent, you know, that just always caught you, you know? And seemed like, you know, the, the ubiquitous uh, individual, and, uh, and so it is good that we feel that accountability. Now, it's not good that we should ever feel like we're trying to get away with something or hide in the shadows and sneak away. That's 
what Adam and Eve did, right, in the garden. I mean, they went and hid themselves. And you think, that was pretty foolish. Didn't they understand the omnipresence of God? Obviously, they didn't fully grasp that in that moment. And so, when we talk about us wanting to be with God, the flip side of that, then that is showing worship. Worship of God, full of love, and our attraction for Him. And that's the spirit that we're hearing in David in this particular chapter here. You know, I, I, I want to be with God more. I want to be with Him in a real and uh, vi- vital way. Second, if all believers are equally watched over and pursued by the Holy One, then what difference does it make, right? I mean, if, if, if God's doing that, then why do I need to be concerned with it whatsoever? And yet, not all believers equally pursue God, right? We do understand that, right? There are some people who uh, are Christians. I mean, their la- name is written in the book of life. But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul's getting on some of those Christians and even saying, you know, some of you are being kind of carnal, you know. And you get to Galatians and he's having to teach about, hey, you know, you need to understand this idea of walking in the spirit, and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Why does he have to teach those things? Because obviously some believers weren't living that way, right? Or otherwise he wouldn't be wasting his breath in doing that. We understand that that exists. Not all believers pursue God in their hearts. Not all believers are pursuing God in a devotional sort of way. So what is the significance of being in God's tabernacle and being on God's holy hill? Good question, right? In other words, how does, how does that come down to me? Am I supposed to, you know, well, God's holy hill? Well, that's Zion. That's Jerusalem, Right? You know, is God saying, I need to go to Jerusalem? Maybe he is, okay, but that's not the point of this text, all right? Uh, it's what it signifies, and that's why he even talks about this tabernacle. Do we need to build, you know, a, a tabernacle like they had in Moses' day and in David's day, right? Because they didn't have a temple. David wanted a temple for God. That was in his heart, and he drew up the plans and got all the surplus together, <laughs> but it was his son Solomon that actually built the temple itself. But he is talking about a special place where the presence of God resides and his desire to be, not just to visit, right? He used the word abide. Who can stay there? Who can be there persistently in your presence? So what kind of person is able to do that. If we were to assume that this represents heaven, maybe that's what he's talking about here. You know, it's, it's like, hey, let's be excited about going to heaven. And that's, that's what this represents, the tabernacle of God. There's going to be a temple in heaven. We know that. Uh, and maybe this holy hill is representative of, you know, heaven somehow. But if that's the case, then the rest of the chapter that we haven't read yet would imply that achieving heaven has something to do with personal merit and morality because he's going to give 
some specifics of what qualifies a person or what establishes a person so they can do what verse 1 is talking about. And yet we know salvation and going to heaven and being with God in heaven someday is based purely on whose merits? Christ's merits, not ours, okay? Not about our qualifications. <laughs> we can't do that, okay? So clearly, verse 1 is not talking about going to heaven someday. It's talking about something that we're able to enjoy right now as believers. Not lost people, but as believers here. Since the worship of Jehovah took place during the reign of King David in a tabernacle on a hill, we need to assume that this was his reference to ongoing worship by the believer. In the practice of the Jews, no individual would take up permanent residence in that tabernacle of God. And we know that Samuel, for instance, and Eli, as priests, they ministered about the tabernacle. And you think, well, what about Samuel? Well, Samuel lived with Eli, but they didn't have a bunk room in the tabernacle, did they? They lived nearby somewhere, probably, and ministered in the tabernacle. And yet the only person that we really hear of in the Bible that lived in the tabernacle is found in Nehemiah chapter 13, and he was an Ammonite by the name of Tobiah. And when Nehemiah came back from Babylon and found out what was going on, he was incensed and enraged, and he kicked the guy out because he wasn't supposed to be there. It was a very irreverent move on his part because he was in cahoots. Uh, it, was, it was really a nepotism. You know, he was related to the priest, and so he was able to convince him to give him a place there. Not what we're talking about here. Not what we're talking about here at all. So don't read this and think, okay, I need to put up a cot in the building at Anchor Baptist Church so I can practice Psalm 15. No. Thankfully, it's, it's, it doesn't come down to being in an edifice, a structure, or even being in a literal tent, a canvas tent, nylon tent, or anything like that. So the expression to want to permanently dwell in the tabernacle of God has reference to unabated worship and devotion of God because that's what they practiced there, right? They brought sacrifices, they worshiped God, and they did it periodically, and David did it periodically. But what he had in his heart, because he was a man after God, is I want this to not just be a periodic thing I do here and there. I want to be able to enjoy the worship of God nonstop. I want to enjoy the presence of God nonstop. This is something really that God desired from every believer who came to the tabernacle even after they left. God never wanted people, the Jewish people, to come to the tabernacle, offer their lamb, offer the bullock, offer their, their heave offerings, their, their drink offerings, or whatever they were doing, do their diligence, and then go home and never give more, one more thought to God until it was time to do it all over again. That's not what God ever intended. Ever. He always wanted those things to be things that would spur them on so that they would walk with Him. And we even go back to Genesis. We have phrases like Enoch. Right? Guy lived and lived and lived. And how old was he when he died? Right? 
he, he never died, right? He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And that idea of walking with God, to me, speaks of what's going on here. He just had an unbroken, unbridled, persistent enjoyment of the presence of God. And at a certain point in his life, God said, just come on home. I heard one old preacher put it this way. He was out walking with God one day and says, you know, Enoch, you're, you're closer to heaven right now than you are back to your own house. Just come on home with me. Now, you know, that sounds quaint, and I'm not sure it's all theologically correct. You know, might get a lot of amens from Baptists, but, but it does help us to realize that there's something that we ought to be craving when it comes to the presence of God in our life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday, right? That is the point. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus tried to teach the woman of Samaria. It's about praying without ceasing and maintaining fellowship with God throughout the day. There was a guy that I met many years ago. In fact, it was back in... My notes here, 2004, uh, Mr. Duma, he had worked for the Social Security Administration until retirement, and then he relocated here to the, the Grand Strand area after his wife had passed away. And, you know, like many people, they had vacationed here and stuff, and so he's like, you know, my wife always loved the beach, so, you know, I'm going to come here. It makes me remember and be fond of our times together. Well, after he lived here for a few years, what happened for him doesn't always happen for people that retire here. It usually doesn't work this way, even though people hope that it does. It actually brought his adult son on visits with some regularity. Even though he was busy working, he was able to come down uh, because he was in sales. I don't remember what kind of sales, but he, if he was ever nearby, you know, he would pass through, stop, spend a day or two, have lunch with his dad. And, you know, as he spent those times with his dad, you know, he thought, you know, I'm, I'm really, I really miss my dad. I really miss spending time with him when we're not together. And so the opportunity came for Mr. Duma's son to become a, a regional sales manager, and he was told, you know, basically, you can live anywhere as long as you can cover your district. So, out of a desire to spend more time with his dad, he relocated here as well to be close to him. Why? Because he wanted that fellowship, right? He wanted that fellowship. That's the kind of spirit that we're picking up here. That's what we ought to have as believers, the heart of David here. That's what God wants us to have. You know, Intermittent fellowship is nice, but it should never be sufficient for us. What kind of person desires and receives the persistent presence of God? That's what we want to talk about tonight. And so, first of all, I want us to see what I call the intrigue by those who are continuously enjoying the presence of God. The intrigue. There's, there's something that's intriguing here. What sort of individual will turn aside from the travels of life, from the events of life, from the goals of life, the 
distracting interest of life. You know what? And the world is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of wicked and sinful things out there that we can just say, yeah, that's on my blacklist. No, don't ever go there. But there, there's plenty of neat stuff that is wholesome and good. You know, that in and of themselves, there's, there's not necessarily anything wrong with it. You know, some people are into classic cars, for instance, right? And I was, I was down visiting one of our members lives really the closest here. He's actually just two doors down here on Bryan Road, Brother Jim Tyson, you know. He was out mowing his grass and went down and visited with him today. And he's got sitting outside of his, his house under a, a cover a 1930 Ford Phelan, I think is how you say it. You know, kind of one of those old classic cars sitting there and convertible top, you know, needs a little bit of restoration on it and stuff. And I'm just thinking, boy, I know some people that would just be maybe salivating looking at that car and stuff. And, you know, uh, my one son-in-law, Danny, he, he sees a car just whiz by at 60 miles an hour. And he can tell you the year, make, model of that car. I'm like, I couldn't even tell you know, anything about it. You know, it was good to guess the color at that speed. You know, how do they do that, you know? And so it's fun, right? It's fun. I remember taking Caleb to a, a car show one time and walking around looking at these unique cars and stuff like that. No problem with that. Can that get out of hand, though? Yeah, it sure can. I mean, there are people that all of a sudden that becomes so important to them that suddenly they're going to car shows and they're not coming to church, you know? Uh, they stop supporting the Lord's work because they have their money wrapped up in their hobby. And, you know, on and on it goes. And I'm not just picking on classic cars, antique cars, things like that. It could be anything. It could be gardening. Gardening's great, right? Uh, it, it could be reading books. Reading books are great. I love to read books. We could just amass a massive list of things. You get the point, right? And so... We have to say, but where is my priority? How tenaciously am I going to defend my desire to have an unbridled love relationship with Jesus Christ and enjoy His presence? See, the word dwell, literally the Hebrew means to lodge or to set up permanent residence. Not just periodic visits. We have guests that come and go. This means, you know, like I have a, a friend, a pastor friend of mine that's going to come and spend the night with us tonight and be on his way in a day or two, you know, just passing through. Micaiah, on the other hand, came in January, and we've enjoyed having him for, for months, right? You know, beyond that, you know, when Becky married me, she can't get rid of me. I'm a permanent resident in that house, right? That's the way we need to be. And consider the person who comes with regularity and enjoys our beach, for instance, so that they decide to come off the road and make this their residence. Say, Lord, that's the way I want to be. I don't just want to be a vacationer in my walk with you. I want to be a resident. Where do we see this in the Bible? So many places, but the one that is always so precious to me. And again, this is one of those guys that I want to meet in heaven someday. Mark 5 introduces us to a guy that we call the maniac of Gadara. I mean, the guy was a terror. Everybody was scared to death of him, right? He's running around, screaming, cutting himself, ripping his clothes, what little clothes he had on. And, I mean, if you heard him coming or saw him coming, you're gathering your children up, you're running into your house. 
And then the day comes that Jesus meets this guy, right? Cast the devils out of him. This guy is so appreciative. In Mark 5.18, it says that, that he, the maniac of Gadara, that had been possessed with the devil, prayed him, talking about Jesus, implored Jesus that he might be with him. In case you lost it in the pronouns there, that he, the maniac of Gadara, could be with him, Jesus. In other words, at that point in his life, he's, he's just been released from all that. He's not wanting to go back to see his mom and dad, or he's not wanting to get a, a permanent job somewhere. He doesn't want to earn money and, and buy land or whatever. He has one thing that's on his heart and mind, and he just wants to be with who? Jesus. He just wants to be with Jesus. And I'm thinking, and, and of course, the one who loves the most is the one who's forgiven most. And this man had been at the bottom. And so his gratitude is overwhelming. And so the intrigue, I think, comes from the sense that we must have in our lives always of gratitude and amazed gratitude that though we are sinners, Christ died for us and forgave us and washed us away and has given us new life in Him. And every day, those thoughts need to overwhelm us. We need to live freshly in the Gospel, don't we, folks? And that's when it intrigues us. Paul was gripped with this. Remember in Philippians 1.23, Paul's talking about his ministry to people, and he loved the Philippian believers. I mean, he really did. But you know who else he, he loved more than the Philippian believers? Christ. And he loved the Philippian believers because he loved Christ. And so as he got up to do ministry and go to be with them in Philippi, it was a joy to his heart. But you know where, where Paul's heart really wanted to be and yearned to be? Where did he really want to be more than anywhere else? In heaven. And so he says in Philippians 1.23, For I am in a strait betwixt two. Pulled, right? Mm. Having a desire to depart. In other words, I really want to go and be in heaven. I mean, and, and who wouldn't want to be? Not just because of the golden streets and the mansion that's there, but because of Christ being there. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Yeah, and we ought to feel that way. We ought to feel that, that we're loving serving Jesus right here, and we're excited to come to church on Wednesday night. But part of us ought to be, as we're driving to church on Wednesday night, Lord, I will not be bitter at you at all if you call me home to be with glory before I make it to Anchor Baptist Church. I mean, to be in Jesus' presence. Hey, that's what carried us through. And gave us the right mindset when it came to the funeral service of Mary Dickman, Janie Chadwick. I mean, there's sadness with us not being able to be. It, it seems so strange coming to church today, Mary not being here as she often was. You know, Miriam did a great job playing, but you know, I remember Mary also playing sometimes, you know, and not going to enjoy hearing her style of playing the, the piano over there and serving that way and doing different things. And God's met those needs. But you know what? We wouldn't call them back for a minute. Why? 
they are where they want to be right now. But you know, while we can't, it hasn't been called for us to go into the presence of God bodily like that, removed us from this earth, God wants us to enjoy His presence every day while we're here. In Matthew 17, 4, we find the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, they're with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, but they're seeing Jesus in a different way. Yeah, Moses and Elijah are there too. And then Peter's just reveling in this. I mean, he's, we talk about having a mountaintop experience. Maybe that where that, this is where that phrase came from. I don't know. Peter answers and says unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles. Let's just, you know, stay right here. I don't know. Some people say, you know, he was making a, three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It might have been for Peter, James, and John, you know. But the point was, they didn't, they didn't want to move off that. They didn't want to leave what they were enjoying right there. Have you ever had quiet time in the morning where you're in the Word and the Spirit of God through your prayer time and you're just like, oh, wow, is it really that late? I got to go. Oh, I wish I didn't. I make some notes here, come back and dig into this some more, you know? And, and we go our way, and hopefully, as we're driving in our car, we're like, Lord, you know, thanks for showing that to me today and use me, give me a divine appointment. And, you know, we're enjoying the presence of God. That's what God wants. That is the normal Christian life, by the way. That's not some weird Christian life. That's supposed to be the normal Christian life. So what is the identity of those who continuously enjoy the presence of God? And we're just going to look at one of these, and then we're going to save the rest for next time. It is that you pursue qualities of spiritual excellence. And he says several things here. One is, there's the phrase, he is someone who walks uprightly verse 2 tells us he walks uprightly this is someone who lives with a reputation of integrity now let me be quick to say about the identity of those who continuously enjoy the presence of God we don't want to walk away and saying okay this is the list I need to check off okay so that God will let me enjoy his presence it doesn't work that way it's not that I do this, 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 and now God opens this magical door for me. What it is saying is, if I'm not living this way, I'm not going to be the kind of person that wants to enjoy the presence of God. So this is a list of, hey, make sure, this is a troubleshooting list. Make sure these things aren't missing from your life. If you're not already someone that's just enjoying the persistent presence of God in your life, that as you go about your normal activity, then look and see if some of these areas are troubled areas in your life. Because if, if, if you check these things off, if, if there's not trouble in these areas, then you should be just someone that's enjoying the presence of God. It, it happens. So if we're not walking uprightly, for instance, Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. If we're trying to be hypocritical, if we're trying to be duplicitous, if we're trying to be two-faced, living this way and that way, it's not going to work, folks. 
It's just not going to work. God wants real, genuine people. And we want, He wants us to want to be that kind of person. Living, walking in our integrity. He also talks about it's a person who worketh righteousness. This means that we accomplish tasks that are pleasing to God. And there's all kinds of things that we could say, I'm going to do this because it's a good thing. But it may not be a pleasing to God thing. It may be someone else is doing what you're thinking about doing, and it's pleasing to God for them to do it. But maybe in your specific scenario, God might be wanting you to do something else. So it's, it's only going to be righteous if it's what God wants you to be doing, if you're obeying Him. It's what wilt thou have me to do? Will, you, will what you are doing result in an outcome that honors the Lord? Can you have that sense, that peace in your heart, that God will genuinely say to you someday about whatever it is that you're dealing with at that moment, well done, good and faithful servant. Or will it be, you know, you could have picked worse things to be doing, disastrous and wicked things, but that still wasn't what I wanted you to do. And we can see all kinds of things, like Peter rashly picking up a sword and swinging at the servants here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some people say, hey, that's valiant, that's courageous. Look how, you know, how much he loves Jesus. And Jesus said, put up your sword. That wasn't what you're supposed to be doing right now, Peter. You see what I'm saying? We sometimes have our sword-swinging moments, but we have to stop and say, what should I be doing? What Peter should have been doing right before that was praying with his Lord, and he wasn't. Thirdly, another way we pursue qualities of spiritual excellence is speaking truth in the heart. This is personal commitment to honesty. This is more than just speaking truth. You know, it's like, well, you know, I need to be very careful about the selection of my words so that I don't tell a lie. Yeah, we shouldn't tell lies. But what this is talking about, because it says, speaketh truth where? In his heart. Speaking truth in the heart. By the way, if we're not speaking truth in our heart, is that a sin? Yeah, so let's talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Did they lie? Did they bear false witness? They did. They, they didn't necessarily say uttered words, you know, but by the way they gave the impression. But let's roll it back. Here's the point. When did the sin really occur for them? And I would suggest to you it was around the breakfast table as they were hatching the plot. Because that's where they fell in their heart. That's where they stopped speaking truth in their heart. And, and we need to really commend personal honesty and a commitment to it. You know, I, I want to be someone who is real and genuine and authentic. Now we're going to continue on uh, two Wednesdays from now from verse 3 on and, and look at some of these other things. And I would encourage you to take time to look at these items and think about the identity of those who continuously enjoy the presence of God. But to think specifically of just these first three that talk about our qualities of spiritual excellence in our lives.
And then let's ask ourselves and challenge ourselves, you know, how much do I crave the persistent presence of God in my life? How much do I long to, to not have that taken away from me? That at the end of the day, I, as I put my head on the pillow, this is how I challenge myself. Do I feel like that I went from point A to point B and it's like, for the most part, yeah, I got a little distracted here and there, but I enjoyed today walking with the Lord. That he was with me in decisions and tasks. You know, I was fellowshipping with him. Felt this guidance of the Spirit. You know, started to step out of line. It was like, oh, you know, yeah, Lord, thank you for that. And get back where I need to be here. Enjoy listening to wholesome Christian music and worshiping the Lord in my heart as I go about and just praising God. You know what it is? It's a little bit of heaven on earth, isn't it? Isn't that what we're going to be doing in heaven? Enjoying the presence of God? Praising His name? It is. So, why not enjoy it now? Because God intends for us to. Father in heaven, thank you for the opening of the time that we can look at this. and Lord, just encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would not allow the vanity of this world and the deceptiveness of our flesh to offer up substitutions that are so inferior to what we can enjoy in your presence. Lord, it's so easy for us to become Marthas, be cumbered about with much serving, and get caught up in menial tasks, and, and it's all wholesome things. But Lord, we need to be like Mary. We need to desire the better part. And Lord, I pray that we would not lose that. I pray that that would be something that we would always cling to, crave for. And Lord, we would make the radical changes in our life that are necessary to make sure that we're enjoying that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.